0: I'd like you to please stand for the reading of God's word this morning. In Acts chapter 10, 1 through 23, now there was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what is called the Italian cohort, a devout man, one who feared God with all of his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw a vision and an angel of God who had come in and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze on him, he was very much alarmed. And he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa. And send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter, who is staying with a tanner also named Simon, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who had been speaking to him had left, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were of his personal attendance. And after he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa on the next day. As they were on their way approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. But he became hungry and was desiring to eat. And while they were making preparations of the food, he fell into a trance and he saw the sky opened up and an object like a great sheet coming down. "...lowering by four corners to the ground, and there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and the birds of the air. And a voice came to him and said, Get up, Peter, kill it and eat it. And Peter said, By no means, Lord, I have never eaten anything unholy or unclean. And again a voice came to him a second time, Well, God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. And this happened three times. And immediately the object had been taken up into the sky." And while Peter was greatly perplexed in his mind as to what this vision he had seen might be, behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked direction for Simon's house, appeared at the gate and calling out, they were asking whether Simon, they were asking whether Simon, who was called Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was reflecting on the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, accompany them without misgivings. For I have sent them myself. And Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I am the one you are looking for. For what is the reason which you have come? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken by the entire nation of the Jews, has divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. And so Peter invited them in and gave them lodging. And hence, may God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you. And we are so thankful that you are a good Father. Father, I pray that I would hide myself behind your word. That I would get lost behind my master. Father, these are your sheep of your flock and your pasture. I pray that I would serve them in such a way that they would be found pure and chaste at your coming. A coming, Lord, that we wish you would come fast. Come now. Father, bless your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be our primary teacher. I confess my sins in front of this church. I am not worthy to stand behind your Bible except through your righteousness. I am nothing without your righteousness, Lord. So Father, I pray your blessing on this hour. May it pierce our hearts. And I pray this and I ask this in your Son's precious and holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever noticed the person driving slower than you is a jerk? And the person driving faster than you is a maniac. And you've never met the person. You've never spoken to the person. You can just tell through your spidey senses that the Lord has given you that you don't like that person. They are either a jerk or a maniac. And you are driving exactly the way everyone should drive on the highway. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Why is this? Good Lord, I have no pockets. Why is this? Well, truth be said, in our fallen state that we are all in, we are all prone. We are all prone to justify ourselves and condemn those who act differently than us. It is our human default. Last week, we talked about prejudice And this week we'll be talking about the same thing, but in a slightly different context. Last week we looked at the prejudice of man as it relates to nationality and race and class. And frankly, if I can be honest with you, it is one of the more easier studies than the one today. Not in that it doesn't exist or that it's hard, but that it's just a little bit easier to touch on because I strongly believe that everyone in this room would agree that all are created equal in the sight of God and there is but one race, the human race, and any prejudice or racism against someone because of the shade of their skin is sin. Amen? That's easy. We can all amen that. Maybe be harder to practice that, but we would all agree on that. You can see how easy and clear that is. But today we will look at a prejudice that is much more understated, much more and, and frankly, because of its subtlety. It is uniquely toxic and damaging to the body of Christ. And that prejudice is that of our social prejudices, our social barriers that we have towards one another. Let me ask you a question. You you kind of reflect on this question. Have you ever seen a church in America today or in the world today unofficially divide themselves up into several different circles based on shared opinion, standards, authors, teachers, dress, and discernible convictions. Have we ever kind of isolated into tribes over that? What would your answer be, church? Of course we have. It's our default. And we see this in the face we see this face on the screen here. We see that on our faces sometimes, even while we sit into the church. Whether that person's got their hands up in the air, and you know, it's like, "How oh, come on, you need to draw attention to yourself. Clearly, they think a lot of themselves. Or you got someone who actually has pockets, and they, you know, they're singing, raise your hands to the Lord, and it looks like they're sucking on a prune, all right? And we judge them. We have this face in church from time to time hmm this is what we will unpack from this text and it will hopefully explode into our hearts we are going to move from the prejudice of people to the prejudice of social barriers so we before we move on we must set the standard we must set the definition what do i mean by prejudice prejudice What do I mean by that? Because that word has grown into so many subcategories of definitions that really when you bring that word up, we are talking about everything and nothing at the same time. So here's the definition by which we will work on this morning. Prejudice is to prejudge someone without sufficient information or interaction with them. To judge someone we do not know. And I want you to hear this truthfully. All of us in this church have these prejudices that God must break down in our lives. But before we can get to this application, we must unpack the context in a deep way. We must unpack the text so that we can fully understand its context and then see its true application to our lives today. Because without proper interpretation, it's impossible to have proper application. How many would agree that the Bible should not be applied with one verse Christianity? Amen? We have to know what God is saying in order to become what He wants. So I want to take the first eight verses and make a short summary of these first eight verses that capture the primary purpose, all right? So here we are. I hope you're ready. This is a new tool that I have added to our exegetical approach to Scripture that we're going to add to our toolbox. And I'm going to boil this all down so that we, all, that we can take all that we need from the first eight verses and dump it into verses 9 and 16. So here we are. Here's the summary. Now there was a Roman centurion named Cornelius from the city of Caesarea, which if you add these two points together is the embodiment of everything that the Jews hate. And while he was sincere about his devotion to the Old Testament God of Israel... He still could not be saved apart from a correct understanding of Jesus Christ. So God orchestrated all the soteriological emphasis. God is the alpha and omega of all of our salvation. God orchestrated everything about his salvation so that he could accomplish his will for the church. Now I could do that with every verse we're about to study and we could be done here in minutes. All those in favor of being done in minutes, say amen. Okay, remove them, all right? No. (laughs) How dare you touch my social barrier, all right? Now with that in hand, let's move into the next set of verses and unpack them out on the floor. Here we are. I need you to grab something here. There is much more separating Peter from the Gentiles than nationalistic and racial prejudices. There are also long-standing social barriers. Grab that word. That's what we're talking about. Social barriers. More than race, more than nationality, but social as well. That must be removed if the plan in the church of Jesus Christ is to become what God desires it's going to become. May I ask you a question? Does the church today have social barriers within itself? Of course, we do. And we all carry them that separate us from others. And here it is, both inside the church and outside the church. See, this has both a sanctification and soteriological emphasis to it. Now, this kind of makes me smile here as you see these highlighted words. Peter is hungry and he is waiting for his lunch to be prepared. And as he is hungry, and as he is waiting for lunch to get done, he falls into a trance, appropriately enough, about food. All right? We all know this feeling. I see it come on many of your faces every Sunday morning the, the longer I preach past the hour of noon. I see this trance go around the congregation as we think of more of the clock and more about food. How many here of us, with a raise of hands, how many of us here dream about food when we're hungry? Anyone at all? How many here dream about food when you're full? Anyone at all? I do. In fact, what are some, just, just some popcorn question here. Tell me about some food that causes your eyes to glaze over in trance. Anyone at all? Mine is warm cinnamon rolls with 2% milk. That is what's going to be served at the marriage supper of the lamb, all right? I feel it in my heart. And if you disagree with me, you don't love the Lord, all right? (laughs) Hey, buddy. What are some other foods that you love? Talk to me. Just popcorn. Barbecue Barbecue ribs. Oh, thank God for this chapter, right? Uh The Lord opened up the Baptist menu, did he not? I know growing up, I'd ask my parents, what does this mean? They're like, it means we can eat whatever we want. Kind of a shallow interpretation, but still a blessing. Anyone else? Candy, Candy. I heard candy. What's your favorite candy? Uh, Basically candy, right? So we'll go with sugar. One more. Anyone else? Okay, potatoes on pizza. That's interesting, I heard you both. But this is much more than just a daydream, all right? In fact, look at these words on the screen. He fell into a trance. Now, the word trance here in the Greek is accurately translated a vision. And the words he saw the sky open up is the Greek word horanus, which means heaven. He had a vision from heaven. This is an expression that the heavens have opened. And that divine revelation has been given. You'll see this in Luke chapter 3, Acts chapter 7. Here's a huge note. I want you to grab this. The heavens are opening up in order to stimulate the church to move out of their social prejudices. Wow. Let me say that again. The heavens have opened up in order to stimulate the church that Peter is of to move out of their social prejudices. I can't help but think that sometimes the very same thing would have to take place today for the churches to move out and do the same thing. We have, have you ever heard the words, this is just, this is who we are. Well, the question isn't who we are. The question is, who are we to become? Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not talking about biblical teachings here i'm not talking about god's absolute moral law i'm talking about social prejudices which to borrow from our definition is to prejudge someone without sufficient information or interaction with them that hinders the gospel that hinders the gospel and the fellowship of the church in fact it says this and there are all kinds of four-footed animals crawling creatures of the earth, and birds of the air. Now, I just want you to see something here, is that this is a list, it is a description of unclean animals that Jews, like Peter, were not allowed to eat. These are a description of unclean animals that Jews were not allowed to eat. Things like pigs, owls, reptiles, lobsters, winged insects, seagulls, and on the list would go. We know that Peter saw this as unclean animals because of his response when he says, absolutely not, Lord, I know more than you. I have never eaten anything unholy or unclean. So unholy and unclean animals is what he sees on that sheet. Now I want you to grab this here, okay? This is much more than God just putting things on our dietary menu. This is much more than God opening up the menu for New Testament believers. That is an incredibly insufficient and shallow interpretation. It is clearly the removing of all social boundaries between Jew and Gentile. He is removing the social boundaries between the Jew and the Gentile, and here it is for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the gospel. This is not about food, it is about salvation. And it is about fellowship. Again, it is not about food, although we love the application that comes with that. It is about salvation and fellowship. Now, how do I know this, and why in the world did God give Israel such ridiculous, at least in our 21st century mindset here in Western America here, why why such strange dietary laws? Well, I think D.L. Bach gives the best summary of all of our reading this week. He says... He says this right here. The food laws underscored Israel's separation nationally, socially. By not being able to eat certain kinds of food, it hindered Israel's social interaction with other nations. We all know this to be true. If there is something on the table that you do not like to eat, it it will affect our social dynamic. How much more in this culture? It's hard to have fellowship with those who you cannot eat with. All right? The Jewish Mishnah, just skipping down a little bit here, the Jewish Mishnah, which is the oral tradition written down for Israel, states, the dwelling place of Gentiles are unclean. The dwelling places of, of, of Gentiles are unclean. This is how baked in it is. They have taken Leviticus chapter 20 and Daniel chapter 1 and all of these things and they have, they have baked it into their extra-biblical oral traditions of the Mishnah and said, this, you can't even eat with them. It's also found within the Apocrypha. Now, eventually, immediately we go, that's not the Bible. My, my point is not to teach from the Apocrypha, all right? It's found, though, in Jubilee 22, verse 16. Now, I know this isn't the Bible, but here's what, what the Apocrypha does. And that it, it's not canonical truth, all right? I want to make sure I say that. But, but it, it gives us a, a window that reflects into the dominant culture of when the Bible was written. And it says this. Separate yourself from the nations and do not eat with them. Do not eat with them, the Albach, upper left hand corner. For all their ways are a pollution, their social boundaries. Now let me defend Peter here for a moment. You see that circle there? Peter believes he's being obedient to God. Peter believes he's being obedient to God by never eating anything unclean and unholy. We find that in Leviticus chapter ten, chapter twenty, Daniel one. But look at what God says. What God has cleansed, you see it in the purple there. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. This is a heavenly reply that makes something abundantly clear. I want you to grab this. Grab this right here. God has the right to overrule your social barriers. God has the right to overrule your social barriers barriers and positions that you have that hinder the gospel that hinder the gospel and its spread and the fellowship of the church so let me say this even more clearly god has the authority over our hearts god has the authority over our hearts not our prejudices not our preferences not our positions and not our comfort. God is abolishing what separated Israel from other nations. Here it is, socially. Socially, grab that context. Because it is now, here it is, he is abolishing it because it is now counterproductive to the plan of the gospel. Oh, the application that reaches our hearts right here the moment any social prejudice the minute any social barrier that is not clearly anchored in the word of God that is not clearly anchored in the word of God anything that hinders the spread of the gospel and the unity of the church here it is we must abandon amen because the gospel is more important than how you feel can I get a witness there I need everyone to wake up here, okay? Because we need this in West Michigan. We all need this. The gospel is not protected by demanding homogenous thought in standards. The gospel is not protected by homogenous thoughts in standards. In fact, I would dare say the gospel is stifled by that. The gospel does not exist to protect our preferred social barriers. The gospel, in reality, shatters them. Now, one thing I want you to see here is because the nation of Israel has rejected Jesus Christ, they just crucified him about seven years ago in this text. Because the nation of Israel rejected Jesus, the nation of Israel is no longer going to be the evangelist or the light unto the nations like they were to be in the Old Testament. God is now creating a chosen group of community called the church to be the light to the nations in the New Testament. Israel rejected him, so he's rising up the church. And the church will be made of people of all different nations and customs and cultures and convictions and positions, yet all will be united about repenting, confessing, and believing and loving Jesus Christ. That is what binds the gospel and the church together, not our preferred barriers. What a cheap unity it is in the church when it is about no beard and hair not touching the ear. Can I get a witness there? How shallow can that be? Oh, i got a rabbit trail. Do you want a rabbit trail? All those in favor of a rabbit trail? I veto it, okay? No. we got too much here. Oh, but I want to. And I'm torn. Okay, I got a letter this week from... From, from a, a brother in Christ, a missionary that you don't know, I don't know, you know, you get, I get like 30 of these a week. And I, I pick them based on if they meet my social expectations. And there was this one, and they were, they were ultra conservative. And I was reading through their doctrinal statement, and baked into their doctrinal statement were standards for men and women. How they dress and what they wear. and Please understand, modesty and not drawing attention to ourselves is found within the word of God. That's not what I'm getting at. But it was like a paragraph long, ladies, of everything you could and could not wear, how long, far, and all that stuff. It was like brutal. And then it said for guys, it just said, had two words, short hair. I don't know how casual you guys are, but that really opens up my dress code, all right? And I'm like, we, we're we're basing fellowship on these things, and they were calling it being a holy, separated people. A holy and separated people starts here, not here. Now, there's my rabbit trail. They will likely not be supported here at Trinity, but I'm praying about it. All right, and it's not my decision. And that's what happens when you get on rabbit trails. All right, you say things you don't mean to say, and they come out of your mouth, and they're not written down. So let's move forward. Here's the rub. Peter must acknowledge God's right to determine and define what is acceptable, not his upbringing. Not our upbringing. This truth is so important. It is repeated three times. Why is it? Let's hit that button. Because I know. There it is. I put this together. Three times it goes up and down, up and down. Why? Because it is so important. And secondly... Equal to its importance is we are just that, talk to me, church, stubborn. We are just that stubborn. Surely you mean their social barriers, not mine. Three times. Now let me push it to the edge here. If Peter can set aside his social barriers and prejudices that are clearly found within the Word of God, Leviticus chapter 10, Daniel 1, how much more should we be willing to forsake ours that are not found in it? Are you following me here? All right. If Peter can let go of Leviticus chapter 20, If Peter can let go, and I know what you're thinking, that guy looks whack. (laughs) And if you're really cool, wickety-wickety-whack, all right? (laughs) Shonizzle. If Peter can let go of Leviticus chapter 20 because God said so, Maybe we can stop prejudging others with our social expectations whom we have not had any action or knowledge with. Now most of us are in two places right now. Some of you are scared out of your mind at what is going on on the stage. Some of you are, 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 are absolutely terrified that our standards are not being supported. And others may be saying, yeah, give it to them, Brett. May I tell you, both responses are not right. Both can, here's why, here's why, not because I say so, because both can be counterproductive to the spread of the gospel. It can hinder fellowship within the church. Truth of the matter is, all of us are blind or conditioned to our own social prejudice, even within the church. For me, for example, I started out very liturgical, did I not? I bet most of you thought you were about to get in trouble when I got up here. Stand? He didn't even talk to us. How dare he? Very conservative attire that I started out with. Personally, I like conservative style. I like suits and ties. I just That's what I like. Oftentimes people will assume without any knowledge of me that because of the way I dress and the way I prefer to present myself that I lean more towards legalism and rigidity and being emotionally disconnected from my worship and from the love of people. I love watching people's minds go when they go to a wedding and we go before the presence of God and everything is crystal centric and then they go to the the, the reception and my wife and I are are just cutting it up on the dance floor. They don't know how to process that. And it may be because of how good I am as a dancer. Not good, alright? Mostly thumbs right here, alright? Still, these thumbs, man dare you i'll dance dance off right now anyone paul me and you buddy that that would empty the church out brother two men with lower back pain trying to sway at the same time by the way my daughter picked this outfit out this is the most expensive sermon illustration i've ever had and we'll be taking a love offering at the end now Started out, look, I even have cool tags on still. Is that what the kids do? (laughs) Now I'm wearing something that might bother people if I wore this every week. Many would prejudge me and determine, without ever talking to me, that I am drifting from the faith, that I am casual in my approach to God, that I don't understand His holiness which i don't don't begin to that i don't respect god pastor if you were invited to to meet the president of the united states how would you how many of you here have ever heard that explanation to our dress can we just let that one go Or that we are letting down our higher standard, a higher standard that is not in the Word of God. Personally, I don't understand this outfit, all right? They pre positioned holes in your jeans. My old Dutch school mind says, Why would you ever buy jeans that are worn out and have holes in them at a premium? Watch this brilliance. You ready? Why not just keep, get get ready for this, why not just keep your old jeans? You could save money and look dope. But let's be equally fair, let's be equally fair. If we are not careful in our preferred dress, in our casual approach to church, some of us like to Show it off as a badge of spiritual intimacy. Spiritual closeness to God. I am I, I am being real with God. And we'll look down at others who, who don't have that perceived realism. And they're dressed up. We'll look down on them and say, They just aren't being real and intimate with God. Can I just say in both directions to all of the church, For the sake of the gospel, Here and finally, can we just all stop it? Now, I am really thankful here at Trinity. We don't struggle with these things, all right? We, I mean, we judge each other because that's the Baptist's greatest spiritual gift, all right? <laughs> but we do it benevolently, do we not? Now, what is my point? My point is this. We will prejudge someone with no knowledge with, or any information on them based on our social boundaries, And it is wrong in all directions. And here's why. It is counterproductive to the gospel and the unity of the church. And that is more important than this. Now, please know, it stands far further than this. This is just an example that you can extrapolate out to many, many different areas. Now, you may say, how does this fit into the dietary laws of Israel? Because it's not about food, folks. It is about social prejudice and barriers. If Peter had not received this vision, he had not received this vision, and Cornelius, an uncircumcised Roman centurion from Caesarea, outside of the covenant of God, with pig on the menu, comes calling, how would Peter have responded? Talk to me. No, thank you. No, thank you. How would the gospel spread to Cornelius? How would the fellowship of the church grow? I want you to grab this. Now, we're going to want to pick this apart, but this is true. The New Testament revelation that God has given us is meant to unite the church, not divided. Amen? Now, it's going to divide us from heresy. It's going to divide us from the lost in many ways as far as who we worship and what our goals are in life. But within the church of Jesus Christ, this book ought to bring us together, evaporating the heat of its truth, the secondary issues in our lives. Amen? That's what unifies us. Here's a question. Does the church ever use the Bible incorrectly to divide itself? You better believe it. It's called Monday through Sunday and twice on Sunday. And oftentimes, we go to the Word of God and we claim Berean status. I'm being a Berean! now let me be clear. The heart of a true believer, or Berean, is noble and good. Now you may say, I'm rather new to the church, what is a Berean? A Berean in the scriptures that we read is someone who went to the scriptures to test what the teacher was saying against the Bible. Making sure that what he is teaching is true to the Bible. And that is a noble and good thing to be a Berean. But a quasi-Bereanism, I made that word up, All right, A quasi-Bereanism has emerged in the church today. Truth be told, more times than not, those claiming this quasi Berean status cause more division in the church than anything else. Because they do not go to the Bible to protect what it says. They go to the Bible to protect what they want. See the difference? They don't go to the Bible to protect what it says, but rather to protect what they want. And if you don't agree with them, they simply declare heresy. And the sad thing is, we often don't even see it because we are blind to these things. And we know this. Here's some quick illustrations. We'll be done soon. How many here grew up, you weren't allowed to go to the movies? I know this is an old tired one, but you couldn't go to the movies. How many here didn't grow up that way, but you heard about those crazy Baptists that were not allowed to go to the movies? Everyone's like, I've heard crazy Baptists. Yes. I, I, I still to this day hate to tell people, they're like, oh, what do you do? I'm like, I teach at a nonprofit institution. Because the responses you get from people, and they're like, oh, well, where do you teach? And I'm like, I said, in a non 401 CK, I don't even know if those are the right words, institution. Oh, where is it at? In Grand Rapids. And they're like, oh, well, what's the name of it? <sighs> it's a church. I, 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 I'm a, a, a lead pastor at a church in Grand Rapids. Oh, what's the church? What, what denomination? Oh, God. You know? <laughs> Now, not because I'm embarrassed to be a Baptist, but because they instantly tag me with crazy land. (laughs) Or they want free counseling. Or they stop talking to me. And I'd like to build a relationship before they prejudice me. Now, we grew up, couldn't go to movies. But you could what? You could have VCR and rent them. We saw no contradiction. When I grew up, I was not allowed to hang around people who went to movies. I had to hang around with people who rented movies. (laughs) I grew up, if you smoke or drink beer, you were lost. Am I alone on that? Didn't love the Lord. You could not smoke or drink because your body is what? It's a temple. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit, but we could overfeed and under-exercise that temple, couldn't we? No issues there. Smokers were marginalized in the church while we all gorged ourselves at the trough of the second potluck this week. People would walk away from that with a paper plate that was not engineered to handle that payload, all right? And no one thought anything of it. We had no issue with our temple being on the brink of heart failure. Only our lungs were sanctified. We separated from people on these insane lines, all in the name of avoiding the appearance of evil, while what was inside of our hearts was evil, but it was our evil. I was reading about a German Christian visiting an American Christian this week, and both of them would not have fellowship with one another. This perfectly fits here. The German Christian drank beer. Apparently, beer is water in Germany. I've never been to Germany. And I want you guess what? I am almost 50 years old and how many here want to know how spiritual I am? You ready? I have I've have never tasted a drop of beer in my life. I tell people that and they're like, you know, he is Baptist. <laughs> He's Shiite Baptist. Now, I don't say that as some sort of <laughs> hope you guys can keep up. I'll be at the top of the mountain. Let me know when you get there, all right? Because I like fried egg on my hamburger, deep fried. <laughs> no. Nah. German Christian, drank beer, because beer is like water in Germany here, and many of you are feeling the call to reach a lot of Germans right now. <laughs> Others are saying they are beyond salvation. But the German Christian would not have fellowship with the American Christian because the American Christian would go to the bowling alley. And in Germany, the bowling alley is the epitome of worldliness. Both would not have fellowship with one another without even knowing each other based on these things. We say, that's funny, let me push it further. We will will prejudge people based on nothing more than a song they like. I was at a conference not too long ago, I was sitting between two different men, and one person said, oh, I love that song from that group, I left it purposely blank, so you can insert a song you hate from a group you hate. You got it? Mine is the Gaithers, all right? No, I'm teasing. Grew up on the Gaithers, backseat of the car, my dad played it all the time on volume one and a half. You knew it was on, but you couldn't quite hear it. How many here had parents listen to music like that? Anyone at all? Yes. The godly way. I'd always try to change the channel, put the volume, and get my dad to go, when you get your own car, you can do what you want. Now when my dad drives with me. (laughs) Little John Denver on volume 10. Take me home. What was I talking about? Song you don't like, author you don't like. He said, oh, I love that song. The other guy and he left, and the other guy sighed and he said, "And that's all you need to know about him." One song, and we know the heart of another believer, or that we prejudge them, and it's counterproductive to the gospel. Now hear me, I'm not advocating for these things. I'm not advocating for these things. I'm not advocating that we have no standards. I'm advocating, here it is, for God's standard. Amen is what we're advocating for we must root out our prejudgment for for we will not be effective in reaching people with the gospel and promote biblical fellowship church grab this like peter we are often more scrupulous in our fellowship than our lord is and we will use the bible to justify and read it through the lens of our prejudice I hate to go there, but here it is. And by the way, I'm on my last page. I can't see the clock. It looks like I have 40 more minutes. Now, I'm joking. I'm joking. I hate to go here, but, but we will read the word of God. Let me find my last sentence. We will use the Bible to justify and read what we want through the lens of our own prejudice. COVID. COVID. It was this close. I went to a pastor's luncheon during COVID. We were 30 feet apart from each other. Prejudice. And the speaker said, how many, there's probably about 50 pastors there. They said, how many of you pastors have contemplated resigning and going into the public sector? Every hand went up. Because these quasi Bereans you ever notice this? Regardless of their position on COVID, they all claimed biblical authority. What does a pastor do when there are two opposing views, all claiming biblical high ground? Huh. And Peter is absolutely confounded at what he just saw. What could this mean? Is it what I think it means? Have you ever said that to yourself? It can't possibly be this. Some of you are thinking that right now. Is it okay with me to have fellowship with Gentiles? All of my social aspirations being set aside so that I might reach those who are not like me. Grab that. Reach those who are not like me. To have fellowship with those outside of my circles. Is this new thing called the church really, really this radical? Yes. Yes, it is. We are not the gatekeepers of the gospel. We are the gate leapers with the gospel. Oh Lord, he says, what does this mean? What could this possibly mean? And he doesn't have to wait long. Peter is greatly perplexed. Peter is doubting himself. Am I really to understand that I must be more accepting of these types of people and things? You might be doubting yourself the same thing right now. Am I really to place God's word at a higher authority than how I am raised? Than my preferred culture? The answer to Peter's doubt and our doubt is the same answer. The answer comes right away. And the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Get up, go down there without any misgivings. You know what these misgivings are? These social barriers and dietary laws we just talked about. So ingrained in their culture were these laws that they canonized them in their Mishnah, in a whole, 18 verse 7. They, in, the, in the Apocrypha, it's so saturated the current culture that in the book of Jubilee, it said separate yourself from the Asians and don't eat with them. Not to mention the... Torah, the law of Moses. They are to separate themselves from these people. Everything about his DNA says no. And God says, oh yes. And we see here that what has arrived is not simply a larger menu to feed our temples with but a completely new era of salvation and association. My friends, if these social prejudices and prejudgments go unchecked, it would do untold amounts of damage. Truth be said, it already has. Untold amounts of damage as it relates to the gospel and our Christian fellowship. I like how Kent who's summed it up. Kent Hughes summed it up like this. He said, Today the Lord lowers a sheet in front of us and he has filled it with educational, social, political, cultural, and spiritual rejects. And we cry out, By no means, Lord, these are not my types. The result of such an ungodly exclusivity in the church that grows on homogenous lines We seek to reach and fellowship with our own kind. My friends, I want you to grab this, all right? I want you to grab this. This is not the tree of the New Testament church. Amen? This is not the mustard tree that Jesus spoke of. God intended Peter. And Peter now understands. Do we? Do we understand? Or will we tip our hat and say good point and move right into our stream? Peter now understands this is not about the fact that Gentile food will no longer defile him. It is about the fact that Gentiles themselves will not defile him. Truth of the matter is this she's already at the piano, so we know we're almost done. Two thumbs up. Truth of the matter is, grab this. Spiritual prejudice still stayed in the church. Some in the church got mad at Peter for eating and socializing with Gentiles. Grab this and tell me if we don't feel this in our hearts sometimes as well. Here it is. And I don't want you to look outside the window to that church out there. I don't want you to look across the pew and go, that person there. I want you to pull the mirror out and see nothing but your own heart and listen to this. They were more concerned about keeping a social standard than they were reaching the lost and growing the church. This is who we are is our excuse. Our culture is not who we are. Jesus is who we are. Hmm. We tend to see ourselves like Peter, the clean tolerating the unclean. I read a story this week from Dr. Ironside. He said that when his father was dying on his deathbed, his father kept whispering the verse a great sheep, a great sheet, and a wild beast. And his father would, would repeat it again. A great sheet came down and wild beasts. And he would say, and, 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 and. And finally, Henry bent down and whispered in his father's ye- ye- ears, Dad, I think what you're trying to reach for is this. And all kinds of hooved animals and creeping things. And his dad interrupted him and said, yes, yes. That's how I got in. I was a creeping thing. That's how I got in. My friends, we are all creeping things. And we forget that. May God bless and multiply His Word to our hearts and to our minds. Gracious Heavenly Father, Dismiss us with your blessing. May we cast aside any and all things that are counterproductive to the spread of the gospel and its growth in our hearts. Dismiss us with your blessing. We love you, Lord Jesus. In your son's name we pray. Amen. I love you guys. You are dismissed.